I could probably cut an extras together from all of this hilarious banter. <laughs> no, you can't because I haven't started recording yet. What? What? Ah, really? Ah. <laughs> ah. User error 74. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've got a couple of new shows on the network have started this week. One of them, linuxheadlines.show, which, as the name suggests, is a Linux headline show. And it is under three minutes and the important Linux and open source headlines of the day, five days a week. So check it out, linuxheadlines.show. And also selfhosted.show, which is every couple of weeks, Chris and Alex, who you may know from Linux Unplugged, talking about self-hosting all the things and not relying on the cloud, not necessarily anti-cloud, but, you know, trying to host things yourself. So, yeah, check that one out, selfhosted.show. And the day after this is released will be our one-year anniversary doing this, chaps. So, well done. Oh, wow. That was fast. Yes, on September 14th. It goes by so fast. Yeah, that's surprising, actually. Yeah. So, there we go. All right, well, we've got another hashtag Ask Error special. I mean, at this point, are they special anymore? I mean, every episode's special, isn't it? Especially with you two. But yeah, we've got a bunch of Ask Error questions. So the first one, how do you deal with splitting up money with friends after a group trip or dinner or, you know, going out somewhere? So I think that for the most part, for dinners, they'll split the check up like there, right? So I, I don't know when the last time I've had to like do something where ah one person had to pay and then we figure like usually they bring out split checks. Is that something that happens to you frequently? <laughs> no. When when we travel to the US, it's very pleasant to be in a place where the server will just say, Do you want me to split the check? And they just they just figure out how much each person spent. That's very nice and I welcome that whenever I'm in North America. But that never happens here, even to the point where We've asked someone to split a check and they've said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You'll just pay what's on there. Figure it out yourself. And we stood up to walk out <laughs> and refused to pay unless he split the check. And then he was like, oh, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it. But no, over here, that's not a thing. You do it yourself. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah, you generally just divide the total by the number of people and pay. And then if someone's had a skin full of bows and you've only had water, it sucks. Well, I think it depends who you go out with. Like... I went out for curry with all the dancing dads. Uh, get that picture in your head. And um, there was a couple of people who were driving and a couple of us had way more beer. Like, I mean, it wasn't like tons, but it was a couple more beers. And so we just like a couple of people chuck an extra fiver in or something or, chuck, you know, rebalance it slightly. Or we just, when there's some coins in change, we throw them at the people who, who didn't have beer and that if you're all a bunch of friends and nobody is a stress monkey who sits there and manages every penny then it's okay but if you have someone in the room who is like no i had this and this and this and i'm going to pay exactly that amount and no tip then it gets awkward but i don't tend to go out with people like that very often so i don't experience that much i generally don't eat in large parties so it doesn't really come up that much but it was very nice in america to just be able to pay for my own stuff but otherwise I think I just swallow it and just just don't worry about it. Like, well, that's why I don't do it very often, I think, because it does annoy me. But usually once I've had a nice meal and a couple of ciders, in my case, I just go, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah, in the past, I've I've paid for everyone because I can't be bothered with everyone splitting the bill. And I've just gone, oh, screw it, I'll get it. 
I remember doing that at a restaurant at Fosdem a few years ago. And I just, I was like, I want to leave the restaurant now and I want to go and have some beer somewhere. And I don't want to sit here and watch you lot get a calculator out and tot up how much you paid. So I just put my credit card down and said, fuck it, I'll pay. Um, and yeah, that means that I'm out and a few other people in the room are like, yay, I got away with that. But I just can't be bothered. And I'm not, I'm not particularly tight. I'm not super generous, but I'm not especially tight. And yeah, more fool me, but I, I can't be doing it with that barney after a meal where people start arguing down to the penny of how much they've had i hate that it really spoils the evening for me yeah i agree that's never any fun do you guys ever use uh like venmo or apple cash or any of those no because my friends are all fuckwits who can't operate a smartphone (laughs) yeah i think i think if there's any situation where um we're not able to split checks that a significant number of the people that i know um have iphones so we could just instant apple cash transfer whatever pretty easily or uh i've had friends who do have done the facebook messenger transfer thing or like there's so many different services for this somebody has one of them you know at work it's nice when when we travel if there's uh if we're going out for a meal and someone in the room has a company credit card and Everyone needs to claim their expenses, but if one person has the credit card, they pay for it and then just take a photo of everyone in the room at the table. So when they claim it, they put all the names of the people in so that those people don't like double claim by accident or on purpose, which works out quite nicely because then it just takes the stress away. So long as it's under the, you know, the amount you're allowed per, you know, per meal or per day or whatever, that works out quite nice. Well, when we did a stag do weekend, which was a really nice Airbnb, a huge mansion, basically, one of them, the best man, basically, he just fronted all the money for everything and then just divvied it up and sent everyone an email saying, right, you owe this much. And I promptly paid. But then a few people were real stragglers and that was really annoying. So it would have been better if you could have done it up front. I suppose more and more apps are giving you that option now, but mm. it it just is an awkward thing sometimes. And that's why I generally just stay at home and avoid social situations. That's the best solution. <laughs> What's the best way to organize the finances for a FOSS project? Non-profit, for-profit company, public interest company? Dan, you've got more experience than all of us. What do you reckon? So when we looked into this originally, um, we thought, oh, well, obviously we should do a nonprofit, right? Like that makes sense. And I think a lot of people assume that like it's easy to do that, but at least in the States, um, you actually have to jump through a lot of hoops to apply to become a nonprofit and you have to prove to the IRS that you deserve nonprofit status. Um, and so our friends at Yorba were applying for nonprofit status for like seven or more years and then finally received a response from the IRS that they were denied because just being an open source software organization doesn't actually qualify for nonprofit status. And they had no compelling evidence to prove that what they were doing was in the interest of the public good. So it's kind of difficult here to be a nonprofit. Uh, so originally we opted for an LLC, which is easy to set up and that worked really good. Um, just starting out, but, um, 
as we're growing, it becomes a little more difficult because an LLC is kind of tied to your person and it's like part of your personal taxes. And so to have it actually be its own separate entity and have it not interfere with uh, any personal uh, tax obligations, then we have set up a corporation. And so we've kind of have gone through looking at different things and ended up here where it seems like this is the way that's the simplest. And, and that's kind of what we're looking for is like, what, what is the easiest to maintain? Because we don't want to be business people. We want to be software developers, right? Well, probably presumably you think the best way to fund an open source project is to uh, have a, a rich spaceman <laughs> fund it for you. Well, that certainly helps. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's great for bootstrapping a project, but it doesn't work long term. Um, and there are other, projects that don't do that which are successful but when you look at things like ubuntu mate where they get donations and people uh through subscriptions and a little cut of merchandising sales and so on you know diversified around a few ways to receive money i think is is uh one good way to do it with someone being responsible for deciding how that money is spent which is basically what martin winpress does with ubuntu mate you know funds come in from various places and he divvies up how that money is allocated to developers to either create applications or enable features or whatever it is but you know he's building on all the work that the debian developers did in the first place to package a load of stuff that he uses and the launchpad build infrastructure and hosting and all of that stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot that he's not having to pay for that when you look at another distro that's created from whole cloth, like Solus, for example, where they don't have a sugar daddy and they don't have uh, an upstream distro where, you know, somebody else is building the packages, then it, it you know, it relies on things like Patreon and so on. So, I'm not sure what necessarily the best way to do it, but for all of these different distros, they all seem to survive. Um, the popular ones that have a decent, you know, number of users, which equates to a decent number of subscriptions or, you know, donations or whatever that means. They, they seem to survive. So I think, I don't think there's a one size fits all for financing open source projects. So it would seem, but I get the feeling that a lot of the smaller ones are just, one person's personal finances that they just kind of juggle and hope they won't get in trouble for. I don't know what examples you have of that. I'm sure there are some. Um, I don't know off the top of my head of any distros that are one man band balancing, you know, money going through their own personal account and hoping the tax man doesn't find them. I don't know of any of that do that. Well, it's not necessarily hoping the tax man doesn't find them because I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with doing it that way. It just means that it's tied to one person, single point of failure, that sort of thing. You don't have that infrastructure. But that's a separate factor from financing. Like that's just, you know, one person having the keys to the kingdom like whether it's financial keys to the kingdom or they've got the passwords to the root server and nobody else does, mm. you know, it's just, just another factor. How is yours structured, Dan? Like if you, you know, the bus factor and all the rest of it, if you went away, let's say you retired to a tropical island, let's make it more fun, what would happen? Like would you have to 
sign things over or is it all set up in a way that the project is fine? So that's actually something that um, we changed when we moved from an LLC to a corporation is as an LLC, it was a sole proprietorship. And now as a corporation, um, there we did it through um, Stripe's Atlas um, project. And um, they actually have you set up like shares and stuff and they have all kinds of prefab documents. And, and so you just kind of like sign up. So the way we have it set up right now that we actually have multiple stakeholders. So if someone were to die, like there's all kinds of legal documents about like what happens and what happens to their shares. And so it's all kind of like taken care of in a very generic way that a bunch of other people have already done it. So are you aware of other distros and projects using the same model as you then? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if um, other people are specifically gone through this process. Uh, for us, I feel like it was good because, um, like I said, you know, it's more of like, um, you know, we're software developers. We're, we're not like business school graduates, right? So it's like having a template where a pretty well-known and respectable brand has said, hey, you know, this is a way to help you get everything squared away legally, I think that more people should look into that if they are if they have no idea what they're doing and they're interested in having things set up so that everything's kosher and they don't have to worry. Yeah, I know um, Martin on Ubuntu Mate set up a team of what are called guardians, um, which are there, you know, in case he gets hit by bus or, you know, falls ill or whatever. We can continue the project working, you know, and we haven't lost the keys to the kingdom. Um, so I think, I think that's a good thing to do. I think he did it after he saw another project fall apart because someone disappeared. Um, either they went AWOL or, you know, unwell or whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's, there's a new, a number of reasons why a leadership person in a project could disappear. And so that, you know, struck home with him. So he decided to set up this guardians thing for Ubuntu Mate. Um, so that he's less likely to have that as a factor, you know, in the future. I think regardless of how the actual legal entity is structured, that um, it's kind of interesting when you look at it from this perspective because users kind of have ideas about like what they think legal entities mean or what they think that like motivates people. And I, I don't know, for us, like money's never been the motivation. It's just kind of the fuel, you know, and, and it helps us get where we're going. But I don't think it really matters what kind of legal entity you set up as far as like what that means for how the the actual organization is conducted. I think it just means that you're setting up more of a structure or a safety net or like a contingency plan. Do you swear in front of your family? And if not, why not? Fuck yes. <laughs> So I actually have a funny story about um, when Cassidy James got married. Uh, I uh, attended his wedding and I stayed uh, at his family's place because they had an extra room. And uh, they were like, hey, we're going to play some games. It's game night. You want to play? And I was like, hell yeah. And everybody was like, whoa, no, we do not swear in this house. <laughs> I was like, what? Who sweared? Are they quite religious? 
Uh, you know, I think I think so. I think it's just maybe the that Midwest thing. I have no idea, but it was total culture shock for me. Good job, you didn't say fuck yeah, yeah. Huh? <laughs> but but yeah, I, I do feel like there are certain family members that I'm less inclined to swear around, but then other family members where it like doesn't matter at all. I don't know. I think it. Maybe some older people where you're like, oh, you know, eh, it doesn't really seem like my grandparents. I won't really swear around them, but like my mom, you know, it doesn't matter. I swear a lot when I'm around my parents because they swear a lot, basically. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's not really a problem. And my brothers and everything. Yeah, we all swear quite a lot. I think like when there's elderly relatives, you kind of tend to try not to swear as much as possible um i'm surprised that you swear in front of your kids Pope. uh so i was doing that for comedic effect but i do um i didn't used to and i, I remember being uh wedged in the car in between two other cars and uh, i had sophie in the car this was a few years ago and i was trying to get the car out and i was getting irate and i said sugar i went ah sugar and she said to me, and she said, Dad, why do you say sugar? And I said, because I'm not allowed to say shit. <laughs> and, and she was like, oh, Dad. Um, but we started watching a TV program called Taskmaster recently. I say recently. There's been like eight seasons of it. And um, I heard about it a couple of years ago from a random woman on a train. And we started watching it with the kids on a Saturday night. And they love it. And there is a lot of swearing in that. Greg Davis, the main presenter, swears quite a bit. Um, but it doesn't matter because they're just words and they're not directed at people and it's not meant aggressively. It's just part of the conversation and they're, they're just words. It doesn't, it honestly doesn't matter. And so I don't care that they're watching programs where people swear. And in fact, you know, Sam plays video games with people who swear a lot and he watches some YouTube streams. Most of them are family friendly. Some of them people sweat. And I don't really mind so long as he knows when to moderate his own speech. And he does. He knows not to swear at school. He doesn't swear on the football pitch. You know, he's, he's in control of his vocal cords and he knows what to say and when's the right time to say it. And sometimes he'll swear at me in a jokey way saying exactly the same kind of things that I would say to him. So. Yeah, I swear, like, I don't swear a lot around the kids, but I do swear sometimes, and I don't think it's a problem. They're just words. I do find it hard when I'm doing other shows, apart from this and Late Night Linux, mm. where I'm not supposed to swear. But I do find, it like, you end up being more sort of precise with your language. You think a bit more about it, rather than just effing and blinding all the time. <laughs> I don't think we're effing and blinding all the time. I like to think that I'm in control of the words that come out of my mouth, but I'm a lot more relaxed on this show than I, like on Ubuntu podcasts, I think I've probably sworn like twice in 12 years. And someone came up to me in the pub at Foss Talk Live in London and said, do you not think you're ruining your Radio 4 image by going on user error and swearing all the time? <laughs> and I I wasn't quite sure if he was joking or whether he was serious. And he kind of went, huh, just joking. And I thought, actually, that's, that's kind of hit home a little bit. <laughs> oh, is that why you try not to swear as much on this anymore? No, 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 not at all. Uh, it's fine. But every so often, I, I there's that little man sitting on my shoulder that I remember from the Harrison pub in London earlier in the year every so often it reminds me and i think maybe 
not go overboard, not unnecessarily, but you know, for a bit of comedic effect or for emphasis, there's nothing wrong with it. That's kind of an interesting idea, though, right? Is that we we go online and in these kind of broadcast formats, we do swear, right? But mm. there are people that when we're talking directly to them, we wouldn't swear around them, even though they have complete access to these formats, right? So is it kind of like we just don't expect them to listen or like it's their own fault for listening or like why do we do that? Well, my nana, who's like, I don't know, in her 80s or whatever, she would never even, she probably wouldn't even understand the concept of a podcast, never mind have access to this. I mean, someone could play it for her on a phone or whatever, but she would never, ever listen to this. And I would be reluctant to swear. I mean, I might say shit in front of her, but I definitely wouldn't use the F word. (laughs) I love the fact that you call it the F word, and yet you will say it on this show. I know, but it's because I'm just thinking about being in front of her. (laughs) But the, the very worst word, I definitely wouldn't say. I try not to say in polite company unless it's like, deliberately to shock americans because you like like it's a, it's even worse over there than it is here but uh on air i don't think i've ever said it it's a quite an aggressive word and but the thing is it's 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 one of those words and, and all of those words are the you know the the in inverted commas bad words are different depending upon where you are on the planet and who you're speaking to you sit with an aussie these words will come out really gently and fine and very matey in the same way that we'll go, ah, you prick. They'll say those same words, Mm. you know, but meaning them in a loving, friendly kind of way to their mates. But you go to some states in America, I realize it's not the same everywhere. Some states in America and you use those words and you are persona non grata. And yeah. But also you've got to think about the, you know, context. If I'm in a business meeting, I'm not going to use those words. I was in one just today and we did use those words <laughs> because I knew the person and we were both swearing all the way through the meeting. Even though it was a professional, I'm representing Canonical, they're representing their company and we were having a hangout. I've known them for 15 years or 10 years. And so it's fine. It doesn't matter. But if I'm at, you know, a company where I don't know the boundaries and I don't know the people, then it's very different. Well, yeah, it's like if I have meetings that are outside of my team, then I keep it strictly professional. But then when we have our meeting every Monday, I think I swear a lot more than anyone else, but that's because it's Monday morning. Well, you say morning. Yeah, 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> that's 9 a.m. Seattle time. Come on, that's the first thing in the morning, man. Would you ride in an automated car that has no human input or override? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Especially if I can force everyone else to do it too. (laughs) My answer is yes, but it depends where. If it was at speed on the motorway, I might be a bit reluctant. If it was around London where it's physically impossible to drive more than 30 miles an hour, then I'd be much happier to do it, I think. The highway is like the safest place for a robot to drive. It's the easiest. They just do nothing and stay in between lanes and go the same speed the whole time. There's no pedestrians. There's no animals. Yeah, but driving at that speed, I don't know. That is very dangerous if anything goes wrong with it. Well, yeah, but the reaction time is so much faster than you could ever understand what's going on. That's like probably the most 
like gain scenario that there is. Maybe you've convinced me, but there's just something about it. I mean, I do understand the reluctance for people to get in automated cars because your instinct tells you that you're going to be safer if you're driving, even though that is clearly not the case. Because we've got self-driving cars that are doing thousands and thousands of hours and getting into the odd scrape. And I think one person died once. And, you know, relative to normal cars that are driven by humans who are fallible, they are incredibly safe. But there's just that instinct in you. I feel like the next Mothers Against Drug Driving is going to be like Mothers Against Humans Driving. And there's going to be this whole organization with lots of legislative power that's going to be like, no, people driving is really dangerous. They're going to come to your school and give you a big presentation. Billy drove a car and all of his friends are dead now. <laughs> Probably. But that's surely a long way off still. So I've been in a fully automated car that has no human input or override. And it was a pod that took me from a car park to uh, the airport at Heathrow Airport. Have you ever been in those? No, I didn't know you could do that. So you park up at a certain specific car park and then you just walk up to these little pods and you press a button and the door opens. I think you could fit a maximum of four people in. Um, you climb in and then it just reverses out of the bay and then drives off to the airport, but it's on a, it's on a, like an elevated track. So it's not on the road as such. And it's not, but it's, it is an automated driven vehicle. Um, and there are also similar vehicles that uh, there was a Tom Scott video about a university in the States where they have them that go all across the campus, across the city, because it's such a huge spread out campus. And they built these things like 30, 40 years ago, um, with 1960s, 70s technology. And they've been keeping them running all the time. Um, and they, the kids hate them because when it's snowing, they can't get a snow day because these things keep running even through the snow is like the joke they say. But on a, on a real road, I find it difficult to believe that that will happen in my lifetime because the legislation will just make sure that there's always some way for the human to take over. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that on the road, it will ever be possible for you to have like a Johnny cab from um, total recall. But even then you can take over the Johnny cab. He's got a lever that you can pull and drive yourself. I think it's a hypothetical that will not happen in our lifetime. What do you do to feel better when you feel upset? I'm really bad about eating my feelings. I'm one of those. I'm like, oh, I want ice cream. I want pizza. I'm going to get all the bad food. I had a crap day today. I'm just going to sit here and eat everything. Yeah, I do that to some extent as well. And also drink heavily. <laughs> but mostly, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's my guitars, man. That's They're my CBT, either playing my guitars. And sometimes it's not even playing like songs or riffs or whatever it can just be just holding the guitar and just playing a couple of notes just maybe while i'm watching news night or whatever and just just the feeling of having that guitar in my hands i don't know it, it is relaxing and kind of calms me down and makes me less upset and then um if that doesn't work then i just go on ebay and gumtree looking at new guitars to possibly buy and i find that generally cheers me up yeah, I guess I'd, I'll join the beer and food club. Uh, you know, 
a, a good pizza and a beer or red wine will help. But uh, I like shooting people in the face <laughs> in uh, in video games. Uh, I thoroughly enjoy creeping up behind someone and uh, stabbing them in the back or getting a sniper rifle and standing on top of it. I used to um, play Grand Theft Auto and I wouldn't actually play the game. I would just add all the cheats, get myself all the weapons, stand up on top of a building and shoot the shit out of everyone I could see. And yeah, that probably puts me on a list somewhere, but <laughs> thankfully <laughs> I have no opportunity to get hold of a gun and I'm quite happy sitting at my desk shooting people and not going outside shooting people. So yeah, I, I, li- I quite like doing that. I feel, uh, it, it gives me quite a release to be able to, uh, just like, you know, pick people off from a distance. Have you ever exercised out of frustration or upset? I hear that people do this, but I, I, I have no interest in doing this at all. But they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I was upset and I went for a run. And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. No, I have been to the gym when I've been a bit upset and lifting a lot of weights does make you feel better. It does release endorphins, definitely. Exercise, there's no doubt. There have been countless studies that exercise well, healthy body, healthy mind sort of thing. So it does seem like the kind of thing that I should do, but I'm just far too lazy to be going running, especially when it's freezing cold outside. Do you know what kind of quality of life improvement there would be if I could be like, oh, I'm pissed, I'm going to eat some broccoli and do (laughs) (laughs) push-ups? Yeah, instead of delicious pizza and beer and Netflix. Yeah, I'm at the checkout with, you know, a bottle of whiskey, a frozen pizza, and a pint of ice cream. (laughs) What if you run to the store and run back? Surely that helps. There you go. Would you rather always be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early? I think that entirely depends on if everyone else that I'm meeting has the same problem. Are they also going to be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early or am I going to get matched up being 20 minutes early with someone who's always 10 minutes late so I lose half an hour of my life or am I going to get matched up if I say I want to be like 10 minutes late I'm going to get matched up with someone who's 20 minutes early all the time and they're going to get angry with me no you're going to be just living in the real world where it's unpredictable then I would be 20 minutes early and have a snooze <laughs> i have a certain group of friends that is predictably like a half hour late and so i know with them that despite everything in me being like oh you got to be on time then i'm like no just you know my on time is is way later and, and so i'll shoot for when i think that they're going to show up but i think for the most part for everything else uh, i'd much rather be early anywhere and yeah i'll go have a coffee or, or something. If I'm, I'm too early to a, a location, uh, I'll figure it out. I can entertain myself for a few minutes, but I'd, I'd much rather be early than be the person that everybody's waiting on. Yeah. Yeah, same. I'd rather be 20 minutes early because there's almost always stuff I can be doing, catching up on the news and reading. There's just always something I can do. So for me, it would actually be handy to have those 20 minutes where I've got nothing else to do but work or whatever. But I have a friend who is always late. We go out drinking and she is just always, always late, just without fail. And I've I've explained to her, just leave a bit early. Or, you know, if we're going to be planning to meet up at eight o'clock, 
then aim to get there at half past seven. And if you get there at half past seven, then you can just relax or whatever. She's like, oh no, I just can't bear the thought of sitting around being early. And so she ends up getting there at half past eight instead. And so I'm just sitting around like a mug, thankfully with always stuff to do. But sometimes we've ended up missing bands because we go and see a lot of bands together. I'll just get there to see a certain band who's supporting or whatever early on in the bill and she's not there. And then I'll go in, watch the band and come out and then there she is. And it's, it just can be incredibly frustrating. So yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. And well, I had a recent experience um, flying to America where I was somewhat late. Well, later than planned. I like to get there two hours before the flights give me plenty of time. And I was already about half an hour behind schedule. And then I had, um, well, an unexpected call of nature, shall we say, which put me back a little bit more. And then I had to proper run to the gate. And I was all sweating and, oh, no, I'm, I'm panicking. I had to get on the train thing to to get there. And then I ran to the gate. And then there was a, a queue that must have been about 20 minutes. And so I'm just there huffing and puffing, sweating like a bastard in the queue. And, uh, yeah, I would have much rather have been 20 minutes early for that. Thank you very much. And walked nicely. We have a couple of people at work who, when we go out for a social thing, when we're at a company event, we'll always tell them the wrong time so that they arrive on time. Yeah. We'll always tell them that the thing starts half an hour before. So we have to try and tell them verbally before anyone announces it in a telegram channel or anything. So we're like, yeah, 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 be there, be, be downstairs in reception at half past seven and everyone else will be there at eight and they'll rock up at eight. Um, <laughs> so it's always a wise thing to do for, you know, you just got to factor around people. I used to have a best mate who was always late and I've watched him get ready and he would get ready at like two minutes to whatever time he's supposed to be at the destination. He will start getting ready at the time he's supposed to be there. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be there now? He's like, yeah, yeah, there's plenty of time. Don't worry. It's like, okay. (laughs) When Karen and I first started dating, she was really bad about being late places and she's starting to get better. But I've noticed that, that she does this thing where, when she gets up earlier because she's like, oh, I, I was rushed last time and I'll get up earlier so that way I won't be late. Then she adds more things into her to-do list in the morning, right? And so she ends up being late still anyways. <laughs> and I wonder if that's a, like a, a, a regular phenomenon with people that are late, that if they start getting ready earlier, they're like, look, I have loads of time. And then they start doing more things and then end up being late again anyway. I don't know. I, I, I've never been that kind of that kind of person but i just wonder like why why is it that people who struggle with that don't just start earlier because that seems like a simple solution but maybe it's a more complicated mental problem i think my worst experience of someone being late was uh my my mum and dad split up when i when i was young and i didn't see my dad much after i was about 14 and then i got back in touch with him like 10 years later and i happened to be in manchester or somewhere and he was in the area I said, let's meet up. And he said, okay, I'm going to be staying at this. I'll go to a conference at this hotel. I'll meet you in the bar. And I got there like half an hour early. We were supposed to meet at eight. And I got there at half seven. And I sat in the bar and I got a newspaper and I got a beer and I'm sat there. And it gets to like five to eight. And I thought, oh, he's normally quite early. But then, you know, I haven't seen him for 10 years. And maybe I just like misremembered that my dad was always late. And, you know, I'll cut him some slack. And it got to like 10 past eight. And I was like, hmm, well clearly he doesn't want to see me and it got like half past eight and I was thinking this 
bastard like said he wanted to meet me and he ha- and he's not even bloody turned up on time i've been here for an hour and i've had a couple of pints i'm really pissed off and then my phone rang and it was him and he was like where are you then and i was like well i'm in the bar and he said yeah so am i and we were like opposite ends of the same bar just sat <laughs> seething because we were both angry and we'd both been there for an hour we both oh got there God. half an hour early <laughs> but we were just like too stupid to go and look around yeah idiot